Happy Sunday. This is PFG Live. Welcome aboard. It's a beautiful day here in southern New Hampshire. And uh, we have a guest today. We're going to have a good time. Let's get the uh, get all the check-ins taken care of. On YouTube Live, we have Carl Tauber, who's reporting uh, 36 degrees and incipient rain in the People's Republic of Rhode Island. Welcome aboard. Uh, oh, we... <laughs> You guys are awesome. We actually have radar uh, from DBX today. That's advanced. Who is reporting uh, white planes at uh, winds two five zero at eighteen, gusting twenty seven knots. Uh, two three zero variable two nine or zero visibility one mile in light snow and mist. Broken twenty seven hundred overcast thirty eight hundred temperature zero three dew point minus zero four. Uh, let's see. I gotta I actually gotta go back because you guys have been like cranking out some weather here. Uh, Widget Works is checking in. A balmy th minus 39C from our overnight low of minus 45C. Uh, minus 49C, dew point, 63% relative humidity in Edmonton, Alberta. Welcome aboard. Warren Jones reporting 34 degrees at the Lebanon Airport. Humidity 52%. And the wind speed is 22, gusting 28. Uh, dew point 18 Fahrenheit. Visibility 10 miles. Let's see what else we got. Um, we got white plains. Oh, Tuck is checking in at 18 Fahrenheit, clear, blowing snow in the Buffalo. They can see the sun. Robert Simpson is here from just north of Detroit, but is it north enough? 10 degrees Fahrenheit. From Brooklyn, New York, Unix Carbide reports 37 Fahrenheit and snow squalls rolling through. WR Rocket from the Island of Bears. 33 Fahrenheit and partly cloudy in Kodiak, Alaska with light winds. Fermion in Longmont, Colorado at minus 18F. Holy cow, that's cold. Uh, let's see, Joel L. is checking in from Chandler, Arizona. The melter of PLA, 61 degrees Fahrenheit, 20% relative humidity. Welcome aboard. Outside Screwball is here. Welcome. Uh <laughs> We'll get to the hayseed hillbilly. Uh, he's 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 in the wings. He's eating the finger sandwiches right now. I see him over there. Uh, Jeff Lawford from Wasilla, Alaska. Welcome aboard, sir. Partly cloudy, 27 Fahrenheit and light wind. Three to four inches of snow from last night to clean up after the PFG Live. We're not the cause. We're just the effect. Paul Morley is here. 18 Fahrenheit in Dallas. Overnight low of 13. Go Cowboys, Roger. Flat Lappers reporting minus 10 and 25 miles an hour in North Illinois. Burr. Uh, let's see. Who are we missing? Did we get everybody? Fermian from Longmont, Colorado at 19, minus 18F. Wow. So generally, it's pretty cold out there. Uh, we are currently in Wyndham, New Hampshire. It's 37 degrees, which is balmy. 59% relative humidity, but at the Manchester airport, this is what counts. Uh, the winds are 210 at 17, gusting 24 knots, 10 mile visibility, broken at 4,900, broken at 6,000, temperature 04, dew point minus 07, altimeter 29 or 63. Peak wind was 240 at 29 at 1758 Zulu. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, why does this matter? Well, it matters because the the weather in California is not always the same. So we have a uh, we have a meteorologist that's going to come in and give us the weather report from the middle of nowhere, California. Please welcome uh, 
Mr. Tom Lipton. Tom, what is the weather right now? <laughs> the weather where I am is uh, 46 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, patchy fog, and um, I don't know, wind southwest three miles an hour. So That's it. Well, That's thank it. you. Dew point uh, 46 degrees. <laughs> Uh, Taunus 100 yeah is it uh, da is it damp uh yeah, mechanics damp. has checked in from frankfurt germany reporting minus one c dry we'll take it so hi there we haven't seen you in Howdy. a long time and uh, oh, we miss yeah. you i'm yeah. representing today see Got the... oh nice thank you yes yeah. well worn too so uh, we put the word out that you were going to be on, uh, and uh, uh -huh. after all the cries of "Do we have to?" Uh, we got some. <laughs> we got. We got some. We got some interesting right. questions. But first of all, we just haven't seen you for a while, so I hope you're doing well. Yeah, uh, I am. And, and the family's doing well, and California mm -hmm. is taking care of you, and you're not. You haven't yeah. fallen into the sea. You're, no, I haven't. Your so move inland I, was clever. Yeah, I guess I'll answer the burning question uh you know how come i'm not doing videos and uh i uh i'm kind of a little bit fed up with the uh, youtube algorithm and uh and i'm honestly tired of pandering to it and uh and uh, for the pittance that they pay the uh, content creators right so uh um honestly the only reason for me really doing it that makes any sense is the nice people like you guys that I meet. And, uh, I have a lot of new friends because of my YouTube experience. And, uh, but honestly, it's just, uh, it's kind of frustrating. And I found myself, um, um, you know, I'd go down to the shop, right. And I'd say, Ooh, I want to film that. Right. And uh, so I'm not going to work on it. I'm going to wait till I feel like filming. Right. Well, guess what? I, quit working on stuff right because i was like oh i'll film that i'll film that right and then i said well wait a second that's kind of the wrong deal so i just started working on stuff and not filming it and um and really kind of got back in the groove um now it's not that i won't make videos in the future uh, uh it's just uh uh not a primary uh, a primary thing right now so Anyway, well, that don't that worry. was the, I, I will make videos in the future. So, yeah, that was a burning question. Uh, but you know, the important thing is is that you're doing you're doing the stuff that's important to you, and those are the things that eventually turn into that's very right. valuable yeah. teaching, right? If you weren't yeah, doing exactly. the the stuff, you couldn't teach yeah. the stuff. So, yeah, that's I, okay. I guess I kind of refuse to, uh, you know. If you want to make money on YouTube, uh, you do product placements. Okay, the the uh, uh, these companies will pay you, you know, three hundred bucks a spot to mention their product, right? Yeah. Which you can quickly uh, uh, exceed uh, what uh, YouTube pays you for views and and all that stuff, right? But I don't I don't want to be a a product placement guy, right? And uh, I. I want my content to be about the work, right? And then, um, so that's really 
the work and the people, right? And um, and the, the engineering and scientific problems and stuff like that. That's the that's the fun part for me. So, so I just gotta set the money making part of it aside, right? Which uh, you know, honestly, is nice. You know, when it's paying well, because uh, then you buy stuff for the shop, you get to show those things, and na 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 na. You know, so it's this little treadmill, right? Uh, that I don't care to be on anymore. So, Roger that. Well, you're a good teacher, and we appreciate you so much. So that's oh, you thanks. know, for me, speaking for myself, that's what I miss. If anything, is is just your teaching. I I uh, I turned on uh, monetization, and I I don't want to brag, mm -hmm. but I think this past month I made eight dollars and thirty six cents. Right on. Yeah. Right. You've got a bright future ahead I, of you, right? Or so. or a hamburger, one of the two. <laughs> So just to brag a little bit about Mr. Tom Lipton, who needs no introduction, so let me introduce him. Uh, at the beginning of my journey, uh, Tom uh, played a very important role because of the book he wrote, Metalworking Sink or Swim. And there I was with my little Sherline machines trying to figure out what the heck this metalworking stuff was about. And this is a well this is a well used book. I got I got bookmarks and notes and really you know. oh that's great. Oh yeah no this was I this yeah, was uh, cool. absorbed. One of these days yeah. you're going to have to autograph it because you know it's un uh -huh. unautographed. But I think that's that's the thing I admire most about the work you did is is your teaching. One of the questions we had actually is mm -hmm. pretty relevant. I'm going to jump him to the top of the heap. Um, this was a gentleman. Let's see. I'm just going down my document. A guy named. Uh, <laughs> a guy named John Moses Bluing, also known as Adam Demuth, mm -hmm. asks, authorship, are you penning another book? Is it worth it in the age of YouTube? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I have, uh, what do I want to call it? A source material um that's probably equivalent to another book um but it's you know it's not formatted or 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 anything like that um i don't know you know uh this the modern um video is really kind of the uh the platform these days right and um it, books are i don't know on the decline uh in general right and um so but for a very very long time before you know even before i wrote my book uh, um i wanted to write a book right so that was that was a, a cool thing to do right and um um you know to be published and have that kind of uh, uh experience right and um so you know i was at uh, west tech uh i don't know many years ago and uh i uh i went to the industrial press booth and i was chatting him up right and uh and actually the president was there a guy named john carleo super nice guy and um and you know i was saying well you know how do you guys find authors you know i was probing right and mm -hmm. uh, kind of doing intel and the guy I was with uh uh blurts out well he wrote a book and uh and then uh and uh you know and i'm giving him the elbow right because i wasn't quite ready to drop the bomb right <laughs> and he says oh uh 
really? Uh, what's it about, right? And I said, well, it's kind of metalworking. And he says, oh, well, I'd be very interested to look at that. And uh, I happen to have a thumb drive with me, <laughs> conveniently, <laughs> right? <laughs> so no, he plugged it into his laptop, and he he read a little bit, and he goes, uh, he goes, here's my card. He says, uh, well, when you near completion, give me a call, right? And that that was that, right? Um, so I don't know, you know, from I guess uh, just an experience standpoint, writing a book, you know, it's it takes practice. Like all the things that we that we do that you want to do well, right? It takes practice, and um, um, you know, everybody says, "Oh, well, you can just write a book. That's pretty easy, right? You just get on the typewriter and go to town, right?" Not true. And um, yeah. so they put me with a. Uh, uh an editor um his name escapes me right now uh, at the moment but uh, he was absolutely a non-machinist non-metal worker you know no uh not even a woodworker right mm. and um but he was an editor and a writer right and i remember being so frustrated working with him right and then I don't know, something kind of flipped and, or he said something to me and, um, and, um, or he drove it into my thick head, I guess is uh, more accurate. Um, he said, think about, think about your audience, right? Think about your audience, right? And, and, you know, he hit me at just the right moment and I said, oh, wow, right? And I remember in particular, it was about, um, um, some in insert designations right and we're all kind of anybody that plays around with inserts you know it's kind of a confusing uh um yeah. you know secret code right and uh he goes well what is a wnmg right i go well every machinist knows what those are right and uh and he goes well think about your audience right and uh, i don't know what it is and i went oh well shoot you know what He's kind of right, right? And uh, mm. so it it helped me a lot to think that way, right? And uh, to think about my audience. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a cool exercise, right? But I I believe uh, you know most uh, modern people or people getting into the trades uh, at this moment um, don't learn from books. They learn from kind of watching and uh and listening and then replaying it and uh and it's really kind of the modern format and uh you know i, I don't know if any of you guys know but i had a blog for a while um that uh i used to you know practice writing in basically right and uh little articles and little you know things that were going on at work and uh so um you know if if you're interested, there's it's still sitting there, <laughs> doing doing nothing, right? And uh, yeah. but uh, there's some definitely some uh, stories and articles in there that, uh, um, you know, if you're a fan, yeah, you might be interested in. So, uh, uh, Ox Tools at Blockspot.com, I think, is the uh, cool uh, the thing. Uh, but uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, Kevin Kevin Blodgett uh, put up a chart in the chat. That actually shows book um, 
sales of printed books kind of recovering over the yeah. last two, 20 years. So maybe maybe well, books are coming I, back. I don't know, you know, and uh, but I don't know. I mean, I... I want to fix my washing machine. Guess where I go? I go on YouTube, right? And right. Uh, it's and and you get to watch somebody take apart the exact model of your your stupid Samsung uh, yeah. washing machine, right? And you get to watch it while you're kneeling in a puddle in the in the basement, right? Yeah, exactly, right. So it's it's certainly relevant, right? And um, um, so I guess it depends what your goal is, uh, write a book or, or do videos. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, monetarily the, the book, um, you know, it produces a little bit of money. I get a couple royalty checks a, a year and, uh, but it's been dropping off, you know, steadily, you know, for the last five years or something like that. Right. So, uh, and I do zip for promotion. I don't, I don't talk about it i just you know i just let it let it ride yep. and uh, uh i i am an awful salesperson right i don't feel that's i guess why i don't want to do product placement stuff too right i don't you know it takes you years to build up a reputation right as a as an honest straight shooter right and uh and seconds to destroy it by uh, uh by going oh look at this uh this cool offshore deburring tool that i uh that they gave me that's just awesome and it's actually a piece of junk right and yeah. uh you know these people that they contact me to do product placements right and i said well and i i i've done a few and i said uh so here's the deal i go if i don't like it i'm gonna say so and guess what a lot of them just back out at that point right if i yeah. like it I'll, I'll say i like it right if i don't you know i'm not gonna be a a wiener about it but uh um uh, but i'm not going to uh promote anything that i feel is uh is junk so yeah Honesty i is important i totally agree there is a i won't i won't get specific but there is a particular brand that's been plastered all over youtube that mm -hmm. people have been doing reviews on and i don't want to see them anymore honestly oh yeah you know it's I don't know. It just, it's, it, I don't know. Yeah. So, so. Go for it if you want, but yeah, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> moving on. Uh, yeah. Let's see. There was, uh, there was some other questions. One very nice comment from uh, Joel L who says, Tom, please do whatever it takes to maintain the highest level of mental health. <laughs> Thank you. I will. <laughs> I, that is, you um, know. I, uh, once I kind of realized that I was like not working and waiting to film, right. I kind of went, you know what? It's, you come down here because you like doing this work. So just like disconnect the part that, uh, that's preventing you from doing that. Right. And, yeah. um, and you know, we, we uh, we get a, uh, a pretty significant winter break, um, mm. at work. Right. And, um, so I was off from, what the 21st and then my first day back was january 8th so um uh and i spent every day in the shop okay and it was cold and but yeah. i worked out my uh my uh insulation rig from <laughs> my personal insulation rig and 
I was able to to work and get a lot done. And so that's, well, I don't know how many days that is, but uh, um, sometimes nine, nine, ten hours a day um, and just run up to the house to get something to eat and use the bathroom or whatever and then go back down. And um, so... And, and nobody was... Yeah, it was pretty... Nobody was putting a gun to your head to do that. Nobody was no. waiting on a deadline. It was because you wanted to do it. I couldn't wait to get down there, right? Yeah. So it was like the, you know, I was like, that's why I do this. I couldn't wait to get down there, right? And uh, and uh, yeah, so um, and, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say, uh, uh, Shaden HKW has joined us. Oh, um, Uncle Stan. <laughs> Uncle Stan is here. I love Stan. Um, Stan is awesome, man. So. He says, videos are information rich. Quite often, it's something you don't say. Just seeing something, even if it isn't on topic, is worth a thousand words. Um, it, so true. Yeah. yeah. It's really a dense format. And a lot of times, that thing that you're looking for is so subtle, it's not ever going to show up in a written format, right? Mm -hmm. And as, oh, look how he's holding the uh, the tool. Right. And, um, yes. or, you know, okay, here's a good one. More pattern scraping, right? Right. There is a How do you explain very, that in words? Yeah. You can explain your brains out. Right. And, um, and you can watch videos and, and it, unless somebody zooms in on the tip of the scraper, right. And shows you this little, little, very tiny, little, subtle, little twist of the wrist. Right. And, um, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna spend a lot of time trying to figure it out. Right. And, um, uh, but once you got it, it becomes kind of muscle memory and, uh, you can kind of jump on it immediately. I always valued uh, being in the you, presence. You, you, Sorry, we, we have a delay so that we're stepping on each other, which is not unusual. Um, I've always valued being in the presence of a master craftsman specific and I, and I, I finally figured out why, because I wanted to watch their hands. I want to see mm -hmm. the hands doing the work. And there was this information, which I couldn't have gotten any other way. And I think you, you captured it. Um, video almost does a hundred percent of that. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I don't think quite because when you're standing there watching, you know, somebody do something, I took the Richard King st scraping course and I couldn't mm -hmm. have learned that stuff from a book, um, and just watching how it's done, you know, and that was worth reading five books. So, um, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, when, uh, some of the old guys that I worked with, my mentors, um, you know, they, there, there's a tradition of, of grouchiness, right? <laughs> right. And, uh, so you became a spy basically right and uh so your powers of observation were the mechanism where you gain knowledge right i mean you'd get barked at if you came over and asked a question especially if it was a dumb question right and um, um and uh so you didn't want to get barked at so you became an excellent spy right and it's like well why is he doing it that way oh now oh my god that's great i love it right and uh and and boom, now you got a new tool in your toolbox, right? So, yeah. um, 
And um, yeah, some of these things are pretty subtle, right? And I remember when I was young and, you know, you're just, you're working like a dog, right? And, uh, and you're running around the shop and you're, you know, just hauling ants all over the place, right? And these old guys are just moving slow and they got twice as much work done at the end of the day, right? And you're like, what is going on over there, right? And uh, how did, what? The guy's barely breaking a sweat, right? And, uh, and it's like, I'm, I'm dead tired. And, you know, and then you start to pick up on those little subtleties, right? You're building on your, your basic knowledge and, um, uh, you know, you're, you do martial arts, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, all the belts up to black are just, uh, you know, to test your worthiness. And then once you get your black belt, right, that's when the, the learning begins, right? Right. So now now you, you can begin to learn. Exactly. You can begin to learn or you can, yeah. you're, you're marinated enough that you can appreciate the, uh, the subtleties and how much you don't know. Right. And, uh, right. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, so some of the questions that have come up want to know about yeah. what you've learned from your move. So you were down in yeah. um, uh, Benicia. In, in Benicia, and then you moved up yeah. to, uh, what's your new town? Uh, the new town is uh, Fiddletown, which is uh, kind of near Jackson, California. That's okay. so about uh, 100 miles uh, north, rough north and east um, from but where you I went was. from. Was, you went from near, kind of near the coast, right? Yeah, San Francisco Bay Area, East right. Bay, uh, up to uh, east of Sacramento, so in the foothills. So what's a, so just environmentally? It, how does it? How has that affected affected the, you? How do you like it? You're in the trees, in the woods. Oh, it's awesome. Um, so. I can go out my front door. I can't see any of my, any of my neighbors. And um, um, it's super quiet up here, right? There's no city sounds or, you know, I mean, occasionally, uh, you know, somebody will be running a chainsaw or whatever. Maybe some of my neighbors have a little shooting range or whatever, stuff like that, right? But it's not, in general, it's way quiet and um, uh, pretty nice. And, uh, you know, you're in the, you're in the forest, basically, you know, the kind of oak and pine foothills, uh, uh, kind of stuff, you know, deer and turkeys and, uh, foxes and rat, you know, tons of wildlife. I bought a, a, a trail cam that we put up around the property and, uh, I catch, I catch pictures pretty much every time of something. Right. And, uh. <laughs> So pretty, pretty cool that way. Yeah. So, uh, you, when last we met our hero, uh, you were getting, you got electric in, you got the machines in the, the last yep. thing I remember that was a major move was the, uh, the EDM. Um, yep. So that's, that's in Stan helped me move that. And, yep. uh, that was a, that was, uh, probably one of the hardest machines I've ever moved. Um, and um the i don't know if anybody here has had to move one of those but uh there's the machine proper which has the you know the structure and the weight and um you know the uh 
the movement uh, componentry, right? And then there's the control cabinet that's full of, you know, 2,000 pounds of electronics, right? And uh, they're connected with uh, about 6,000 cables, right? And yeah. um, so when they ship the machine from the factory, the cabinet is disconnected from the machine. And uh, when the tech comes out to set the thing up, they connect and land all these uh, all these wires on all the terminal strips and do all this stuff, right? And um, um, so this is an older machine, uh, 96, something like that, pre-2000. But uh, um, anyway... Uh, so I, when I was looking at moving it, right, I was like, oh, my God, I, you know, I really despise disconnecting all these all these cables. Right. It's just like, holy cow. Right. I'm just asking for it. Right. So, uh, you know, I was noodling the thing. Right. It was kind of a long process. Right. And uh, uh, between seeing the machine making an offer and then you know finally circling back a couple years later with the with the owner and uh and you know completing the thing so uh so what i did i i got an idea and i said shoot you know what i can do here there was no good way to strap the cabinet to the machine and then kind of move it uh, as a as a unit right um but what i did was i built a uh, i built a a kind of a custom disassemblable skid that I could slip under and it missed all the feet underneath. And then I jacked the whole, that this whole skid up and then attached the cabinet and the machine to the skid. And now it had a kind of a secure base. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, um, and then, uh, you, you know, you, we Stan and I wheeled it with, uh, with a pallet jack. Right. And, uh, at that point, so the overall weight of the machine wasn't that huge, right? But uh, it was just a it was big, separable uh, kind of uh, the yeah. the CNC cabinet and then the machine were kind of you know floppy together. You know, so Stan floppy. says Stan says in the chat he says moving that was zero fun. <laughs> <laughs> zero fun, yeah. So yeah, I I still owe Stan big time, right? He. Uh, he uh, sweated it out with me on that one, so uh, it was a, that was a tough job. Uh, and, Kevin uh, uh, Blodgett from um, wherever he's from, I keep forgetting where Kevin's from. Uh, will you share some EDM video eventually? Something that's difficult oh, yeah. to find on YouTube. Yeah, that's a good point, and uh, and uh, um, you're right. There isn't much, and uh, there's some some homebrew EDMs, and there's a few little little videos but uh there's not a lot of substance there and a lot of depth uh, it hasn't been a priority for me to to get the machine up and running in fact there's a fair amount of expense i have to buy you know filters and resin uh for the deionized water and oh, yeah no. there's a bunch of stuff to buy and um, um they're they're kind of consumable heavy machines um you know, guides and wire and uh, filters and blah, 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 and all this stuff. Right. Yeah. And, um, um, so even just, even just sitting there, it's using up, uh, it's using up some of that stuff. Right. I mean, it's not like some of our other machines that we turn off, walk away from, and we don't have to think about. Yeah. I, I um, I think it can sit for a while. 
but the the guy they had it before me was cutting a lot of aluminum, right? And he, uh, let's just put it this way, was not big on housekeeping and maintenance. So I, I got to go back a little ways to kind of get to baseline. And, uh, you know, like all the, so around the workhead, there's all these grounding cables and stuff, right? And, you know, a bunch of them were, were broken and, uh, and you know, spliced with the crimp connectors, you know, and when you're learning a new machine, you really don't want to be chasing those kind of problems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You want to start with, okay, everything's working, everything's grounded properly and all this stuff, right? And uh, and it's just you that's doing something wrong. It's not the machine <laughs> doing something wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know you what I have, mean, right? You could have a loose connection as long as the machine doesn't have a loose connection. Exactly, right, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, um, so yeah, I... I keep the battery alive in it and, um, you know, so it doesn't lose its memory and brain and, um, and, um, you know, and I, and there's other priorities in the shop, right? So I just finished yeah. all my air plumbing. Um, so a friend of mine sold me a compressor, a nice rotary screw compressor Ooh, nice. Um, that oddly enough was single phase, which is what I wanted. Right. That's excellent. Yeah, and so I don't have to. I don't have the overhead of running the uh, the phase converter to run the compressor, right? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a, a freak compressor, and he upgraded to a, a a bigger a bigger unit, and this one was like nearly perfect for me. So uh, I built a little compressor shed, and uh, I actually, you know what? I could share some pictures if anybody's. Yeah, interested. you just do a share screen, and it'll come right yeah, up. Yeah, let me. Uh, me, that was uh, that, my requirement on the compressor was also single phase so that the compressor can be on while all the converters were, were shut down for the night. Yeah, and, exactly. And, so and that worked out pretty good. What, what color is your compressor? What color? What brand uh, is it? <laughs> oh, it's, it's an Ingersoll Rand. And, oh, okay. uh, okay. So let's do this here. So it's it's got a uh, let me go back. All right, let me let me try uh, sharing my screen here. Good luck. We're all counting on you. Uh, that one and sure. Let's try that. Oh, I get I get the uh, okay. So there's its little palatial little house that I built for it. We we don't have <laughs> you it guys yet. see that? No, not yet. Oh. Uh, oh, wait, I got it. Okay, it's a separate screen. It's my fault. There, go ahead. Got it. Now we see it. Yep. Okay, so there it is in its little... Uh, I wanted it outside. I didn't want it stealing uh, floor space in the shop. So, you know, first thing you had to do is pour a slab, and then I built a little a little lean-to shed uh, off the main thing, right? And uh, so let's see. Let me... Uh, let me let me try scrolling the picture and uh yeah did the picture change yeah it's fine you're live okay okay and then it's got doors uh, that's actually kind of classy kind of classy yeah oops where'd, oh that's my the, new trailer so. <laughs> where'd the wood come from okay. for the door was that like uh it's just uh uh it was a cedar uh fence boards yeah um, it, looks, it looks cool yeah and uh let's see let me unshare for a second here. Um, okay, I'll just switch back to your face, and you tell me what to switch. Yeah. Okay. 
So uh, while you're doing that, Ooh. I'll just uh, I'll tell you that uh, Dale Xander says uh -huh. I've read all the video. I've enjoyed all the videos, especially on lapping. Uh, okay. He does he does lapping on thin sections of bone and teeth from microscopic analysis. I've Ooh, learned a lot cool. of machining stuff. Fun. Yeah, he says I've learned a lot of machining stuff, which as a scientist is useful. Thanks. Oh, you, cool! Right on. That's very nice. Yeah, the the lapping stuff. Um, you know, lapping is is weird. Uh, <laughs> once you kind of well, no, it's just it's I I call it seductive, right? And um, um, because once you start playing around with it, you go, oh my god, I love these surfaces that I'm creating, right? So you kind of fall in love, right? Yeah. And then you want to lap everything, and then you run into lapping problems, and uh, and then you—that's when your learning about lapping begins. <laughs> what you you are actually reciting my learning curve. That's yeah, exactly it's what uh, yeah. So the the first time you do it, you go neat, 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 and you do it, and you go, oh my god, look at that! That is just gorgeous, right? right? And uh, and it's like, and then. Oh, okay, I'm going to buy an optical flat now, right? Then you stick the optical optical flat on it. You go, Ugh. <laughs> boy, 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 yeah. boy. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, yeah. And uh, and then you go, well, that's garbage, right? And you know, we're talking, uh, you know, a few millionths of an inch, right? You know, oh my God, that's garbage, right? <laughs> and um, you start to sound like to sound like Robin, right? And it's like, oh my God, my <laughs> my indicator's moving a few micro inches. Uh, it's really bothering me. So. <laughs> And uh, so then you try to get control of it, right? And that's when the real learning begins, right? Yeah. And uh, so. I, I for the first time, I, I had a a client. I don't know if I've told this story, but I, I had a client approach me to do some antenna design. Uh huh. Six eight months ago, and I said, "Listen, I'm full up. I can't do it. Sorry." And then, like four months ago, the same client approaches Kinetic Precision because they need help with making something flat <laughs> and they uh -huh. saw the the pfg stones and they didn't realize they had they were, they were talking to the same person twice so i call them up i say okay the the universe is trying to tell me something and they needed uh, you know these neodymium magnets i said magnet yep. that's going to get you excited so they needed one of those faces lapped like uh -huh. you know optical flat so yeah. for the I finally got a chance to use my uh, my my skills, and I went ahead and uh, we we did some work for them, and they they couldn't be happier. So I delivered, I took some optical flat pictures, and mm -hmm. I delivered it to them. I said, "Here you go, it's uh, flat to t I think it was two microns. Um, mm -hmm. It was it was or yeah, no, it was one micron. I think it was flat to one micron, and they were specifying four microns, and they said what every client says. They said, "Oh." Well, maybe we need to tighten up the spec now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So, um, under that heading, somebody asked a question. Let me find it. Um, yeah, Tux Garage, who's uh, who's in the Discord. He said, "How do you figure out quote good enough close quote tolerance? How do you figure out good enough tolerance?" Well, so. So lapping is one of those diseases that um, um, your standards change. Uh, so um, 
you uh you know you start lapping right and uh, um you can pretty easily get you know a micron right on a flat surface right that's you know that's like rough right <laughs> and then you then you go oh well uh and then you get an optical flat and you go guy i hate these curvy lines even though the part may be perfectly fine right um as is so you this is what I mean. Your standards start shifting, right? And uh, and then you want to see what the what the limit is, right? And um, um, but tolerances are um, are are meant to be used. And um, so, if an engineer or a designer has done their job properly, right? Um, they have have done analysis and calculations or whatever is necessary so that the the parts function as designed right and now when we shift to the manufacturing side right we we are allowed to use those tolerances right now what happens is is that and we see this all the time is um a lot of engineers and a lot of designers don't bother to do the analysis and they just put kind of general tolerances and or when they're not sure they put tighter tolerances <laughs> thinking that that's going to help them so um the uh, uh, a really good example is how toyota builds cars right um they build precision assemblies from non-precise parts right and um so um ideally your parts are made to uh, i'm just going to use the word loose even though that's kind of relative to the part right um the loosest tolerances that you can make parts to uh, to build the best assemblies right and it takes a lot of work and a lot of analysis to do that and um, um so you know a lot of folks uh, their reaction is to tighten things up Right. And uh, um, but that isn't always the answer. So uh, um, it, it, that's a whole whole can of worms. Right. And um, and this is what manufacturing engineers are supposed to do. Right. Is right. to analyze. You know, every process has a what I would call a sweet zone in for tolerancing. Right. So a drill press, for example, has some tolerance band that it's capable of operating in right and uh, uh consistently right mm -hmm. and, and we're not talking about uh you know extraordinary effort we're talking about joe you know vanilla average uh, kind of performance right and then so if you need a little bit better than the uh than the drill press you can go on a bridge port right and it has a tolerance zone that it can operate in now with an extraordinary operator and a very careful work you can you can usually half or uh, uh, those kinds of tolerances that those machines can do right but that isn't the idea in manufacturing the idea is to work in the sweet zone right and um, um, and then and then you move to uh, uh, maybe surface grinding right and um, so there's a there's a sweet zone in uh, in surface grinding, right? That that the machine can do all day long, uh, regardless of uh, kind of thermal problems and things like that, right? And uh, and 
with good operators, once again, you can extend these tolerances uh, uh, much further, right? So you've gone, um, you you said uh, uh, drill press, um, Bridgeport, Bridgeport, surface grinder. So mm -hmm. just to put, to frame this, we're talking 10 thousandths of an inch-ish, one thousandth of an inch-ish, a ten thousandth of an inch-ish type tolerances as being kind of all day long. Is that reasonable? So, uh, yeah, I might, uh, I mean, there's lots of, uh, uh, published data. Um, and, um, so a real good, uh, real good book is, uh, um, if you guys have it's a McGraw Hill book, it's called uh, product design for manufacturing. Okay. <laughs> it's handbook of product design for, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It's like, and, uh, the author is, uh, Bralia, B-R-A-L-I-A, and this is an excellent book, and um, so, and I'm looking at, like, a whole bunch of posted notes on different pages, right, but uh, basically, it'll kind of spell out the kind of sweet zones in one section of the book, right, and talk about, uh, um, um, you know, these tolerance bands that uh, these different processes can can handle, right? And uh, so, you know, if you need tighter, you move to honing, and you move to lapping, and you move to diamond grinding. You know, there's, there's you know, there's lots of room to move around, right? Okay, uh, but each one of those has um, um, costs associated with it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, lapping is a very slow process, right? So you don't want to use it unless you need it, right? Mm -hmm. um and grinding is slower than milling right and um uh by a lot okay and yeah. um so that's what good engineers do is they understand mm -hmm. the the capabilities of these processes right and um i mean it's fine if you need micro inches right hey if you make gauge blocks you can't you know get away from that uh uh but they don't start on a lapping machine on a gauge block, right? It starts on a saw. <laughs> it starts on a saw where they saw the blank of material off. And guess what? They leave it long and uh, they work in that tolerance. Okay, so that's the saw can cut it to a 16th, right? And then um, they, uh, they rough machine it on the mill to, uh, I don't know, probably... Uh, 20 thou or something like that or right, no, maybe probably 30 and then they heat treat it and then they uh they rough grind it right to you know within five thou or something like that who knows and uh yep. and then it goes to the lapping right and um you know then there's rough lapping and intermediate lapping and then final lapping right and a shit excuse me a, a poop ton of uh of uh of inspection and metrology because if you can't measure what you're doing and keep track of what you're doing then you're not doing anything so uh your measuring ha is in lockstep with your manufacturing right so uh so i have our next t-shirt it says uh, it says even gauge blocks start on a saw that's right <laughs> they do <laughs> they do right and unix so carbide 
Unix Carbide found your book, and it's it's in the chat on the on the KP Discord chat. So it's oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that's a great book, and uh, you should be able to pick up a used copy pretty easily. It's been out for a long time, and uh, really good information in there about um, um, about what manufacturing engineers are doing, right? And uh, uh, you know, I I deal with the consequences of uh, a bad engineering and bad design all the time, right? And uh, <laughs> Uh, well, you know, a designer used to be a a, a craft or a trade, okay? Mm -hmm. And there was training involved with it. Now it's, oh, I know how to turn the software on. And um, um, I had and a look, friend. I, um, I, I, could, I could move this slider and get more zeros in the, uh, in yeah, the right. dimensions. So uh, a friend of mine, uh, he's a mechanical engineer. He's got his own shop. He builds... Uh, uh, medical devices and uh, things like that. And, um, but he, I would call him old school, old school and new school, right? So uh, he, uh, he got into CNC stuff. And uh, so, you know, he's, uh, he's in the modern age, but he, he was hatched in the stone age like me, right? <laughs> and, uh, well, a lot of guys my age never graduated to CAD or CNC stuff, right? They kind of said, screw that. That's for the young punks, right? And uh, they never kind of went there. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, uh, uh, you know, I found the utility of, uh, of using CAD programs and, uh, and, and that, and it just became another tool, right? The same with CNC, right? Hey, I can do some of these things that are very difficult to do manually. I can do them on the CNC and it's much better and yada, 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 right? So to me, it's a tool. And I want to I want to be able to use it, but this uh, getting back to the the point here. This friend of mine, um, one of his his first jobs was a drawing checker, right? Okay, now a lot of us go, oh, a drawing checker. That's this lowly, you know, a pencil neck job, right? That they give the the kids um and uh or the people that are uh you know malcontents or poor performers they make them drawing checkers because it's a crap job right that is a serious job if you do it the way you're supposed to do it mm -hmm. right so spencer gives me a drawing for a part and he says uh i want you to check this right and i'm like okay so i look at the part and it's just a part it's a single part so now i'm like okay uh where's the piece that fits in this notch um, where's the pin that goes in this hole? Where's the fastener that's going in this threaded hole, right? I have to look at all that stuff in context now, right? If I'm to check this part properly for function, right? So I, so now I look at your pin drawing and I go, wow, you got a, uh, you got a, uh, a ground, a hardened ground dowel pin, uh, eighth inch that's, uh, 0.125 one five in diameter and you got this hole wow you got a like a two thousands press fit on this thing what are you doing here right and uh so i put a red line through it and i kick it back to you right because it's wrong right or you need to explain to me why you need a two thousands press fit um and uh be between this pin and this part right well that's mm -hmm. the job of the drawing checker he's looking at that stuff right mm -hmm. And um, um, and assuring that uh, the part is 
is correct and it's going to function and the tolerances are right for uh, for all this stuff. So it's actually like a really serious job, right? But it's treated mm-hmm. it's treated as this mundane, um, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's it's not treated very seriously. Uh, but in I, I would times, I, don't I would argue, I would argue that if the engineers who are creating the part drawings did a hundred percent job on their part, that the drawing checker would be drinking coffee most of the day. Fo- right. Well, that's not true because uh, okay, I, it's uh, um, then how come? Uh, screwed up stuff still makes it to the shop. That would be my counter to that. Okay, Fair and because uh, they haven't done their job yeah. all the way through, right? And it's it's nearly impossible. That's why you have checkers to catch these yeah. things. They're yeah. they're not to uh, um, uh, they're not to uh, poke or uh, you know uh, what do I want to say. Uh, they're not. They're not making the the life difficult for the engineers. They're making no, making no. The... They're, they're it's to catch mistakes, right? Yeah, that's what it's for, right? It's like a lot of people have an adversarial uh, relationship with the part inspector, right? This guy is your best. This person is your best friend. It mm-hmm. makes you do better work. It makes you do understand your work better, right? That's what I mean. The measuring and, and manufacturing are in lockstep, right? And if you can't measure your work, then you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And um, so your, your inspector is your best friend. And um, uh, he will catch mistakes or um, um, tell you where, you're, where you are, right? Um, and uh, so if, if engineers were doing their job 100%, we wouldn't need CMMs and, uh, and drawing checkers, right? So, uh, and yeah. inspectors, because, uh, but that's not the, the reality of it. So, so I, anyway. I, I concur that we're in the world of electronic schematics, which is usually what I'm looking at during the, mm-hmm. during the, uh, a job, um, the same thing has happened in that here, here's the schematic. It's all electronic. It's on, I, I did it in, you know, name the tool. But mm-hmm. what was lost, because when I started in electrical engineering, the schematic also told the story, you know, it told the story mm-hmm. of, of what's going on here and why is it going on here? And there, here's these notes that say, this is why this voltage is important. And all of that, I hate, if I can paint with a broad brush, that stuff is gone. I, I, I mm-hmm. see sch- every schematic I've seen in the last uh, 20 years uh, eh, 15 years, uh, has been like bland. Like here's a schematic, blah, like no notes, no explanation, no, this is why we're doing what we're doing. Um, so yeah, I think it, I think, uh, it's an old school skill that needs to still be there. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know. It's, I, I, I have to, you know, uh, we have a lot of uh, uh, engineers and designers. Uh, they love modeling and uh, creating these huge models, and uh, and they're they're beautiful and uh, they look really cool. But they all hate making drawings, right? And um, uh, and to me, I always liked making drawings because that was where you had some 
some uh, creative uh, uh, space uh, to, you know, to show these parts and dimension them in a way that was that was meaningful and uh, and with the with the proper design intent and uh, and with an eye on how they were going to be manufactured, right? And uh, so now everybody's oh well, just send the model to the shop, right? Right. And a lot of stuff does not cross that interface very well. Like uh, some of the stuff that you were mentioning, the whole story of the or the design intent of a particular part, right? Mm -hmm. And um, uh, you know what is going on with this thing, right? And uh, so some of that is in the drawing. And it it transfers from the the modeling to the manufacturing across that gap. And this is an area of um, of kind of intense work these days of the model based manufacturing, right? And um, um, they don't they don't have an answer yet. I mean, they're working on it and they're doing better at it, but a lot of stuff doesn't uh, doesn't cross that interface well. Yeah. When we make a three D model in Fusion three hundred and sixty or SolidWorks, you know, mm -hmm. pick your poison. There's no good way to do that story associated with the 3D model. That that's a big failing of 3D modeling today. Uh, mm -hmm. If you go to the drawing, yes, then you can start adding that information. Yeah, you you build the story there, right? And and yeah. building that story, like I said, you know, circling back to writing, right? It's like writing a good story, right? And um, um, it takes practice, and uh, it, it is a skill, a learned skill, right? And um, so... Uh, this just in, we just received an emergency alert from the National Weather Service warning until 4 p.m. Uh, for uh, snow squalls and sudden freezes. So in sudden if you're freeze. in the New England area and you're live, uh, there's a real watch warning out, out there. Yeah, watch out. Yeah. Um, so one of the things, I'm going to jump rails here. Uh, one of the yeah. questions that came up from Proteum Machining is what are the national labs doing to inspire people into the trades? They're so dependent on intelligent people taking the path into manufacturing to continue research. Now, before we jump into that, can you just frame for us what is your job during the day, during the work week? Um, and then, and then see if you could kind of speak to that. Sure. So I have a kind of unique perspective on this problem. Uh, my job is I'm a, uh, um, I'm the, uh, lead technical manager, uh, at Lawrence Berkeley lab for all the mechanical technicians at Berkeley lab. Um, so part of my role is hiring and recruiting uh training apprenticeship stuff uh um and managing that that group of technicians um in addition to you know the project work that i do too which is you know kind of individual stuff um and berkeley so, lab just so because some people might not know lawrence berkeley laboratory is a major physics research center lots right. of particle physics, lots of, uh, superconductor stuff, magnetics, that kind of thing. Am I correct? Yeah. So exactly. So if you're interested, go to lbl.gov and, uh, there's a front page there that you can go in and, 
poke around and look at all the different projects, lasers, accelerators, uh, battery research, energy stuff. Um, so we differ from Lawrence Livermore Lab, okay, which is primarily a Department of Defense stuff. We are Department of Energy. So um, uh, all publicly funded, so we don't do any classified work or uh, weapons stuff or anything like that. Um, so, you know, if you come for a visit, you can take your camera and you can take pictures and, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty nice that way. So, so yeah, um, one of my major tasks is, uh, recruiting and, uh, and training, uh, mechanical techs. And, um, so yeah, it's, uh, what do I want to say? Um, um. We, we've been pretty lucky, I would say, that uh, we get a reasonable stream of, of, um, of candidates when we have a, uh, when we have a posting uh, for mechanical text. Um, so the problem, uh, I guess I would, how I would frame the problem is that our work is so weird and so unique that you never get a square peg for a square hole. Okay, um, you know, you don't get one to one correspondence, right? So, um, so what we what what we look for is um, basic skills um, or even advanced skills in 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 relevant areas. Okay, and what we really are shopping for is the right attitude. And um, so um because with the right attitude you can train anybody if they got a crap attitude and lots of skills it's useless i would rather have somebody that has less skills and a and a, and a strong positive attitude and curious so it's curiosity um and um that willingness to explore and and try right uh as opposed to somebody that's got a lot of skill and is closed off in those in the in those other areas um so but yeah it, it is a problem we can't find people that have um um you know that are ticking uh more than one or maybe two of our uh, uh criteria boxes right uh for special stuff so the bottom line is you have to um embrace training okay so if you can't find the people that you need you have to make the people that you need okay mm -hmm. um and um so that's the uh kind of the the current focus is uh find the right attitude and uh, show them how to do the work um and uh so it's um yeah, there's lots of challenges. So, but uh, the, the, you buried the lead in that you're not struggling to find people. You're finding a sufficiency of people for the needs you have at the labs. Um, you're just describing the ones that you open the door yeah. for. So that's sure. surprising I mean, to me. I, I, you know, I thought you were going to come in here and say, yeah, we can't find anybody. You know, schools are turning out, you know, people that can't do the work. But what you're saying is you've, you've, you've been finding pretty good people. 
Yeah. Uh, so over the last couple of years, uh, uh, it's been a major focus of ours. A lot of our scientific programs have been expanding, so we've had to find people, right? Um, and the other thing that's that's changed a little bit, too, is um, uh, the money part of it. So, uh, so I would say that um, from from my where I sit, um, some of the the salary constraints that I faced in the past um, have been eliminated. So, um, so we've been beating on um, our employee labor relations and HR departments and salary and compensation folks, going, going, listen. We are we are competing with the San Francisco Bay Area for technical <laughs> resources. Yeah, get out of my way. <laughs> yeah. So I can't find the people that I want for twenty two dollars an hour, right? I got to pay them thirty eight dollars an hour for you know a uh, um, a couple of years experience, uh, uh, and they're still going to get trained, right? They're not coming. You know, they come in and they can do a few things, right? But but uh, uh, to do the, the the higher function kinds of things, they they're going to be there for a couple of years learning, right? So, you know, once we kind of smashed some of those, uh, um, uh, I don't know, I would call them impediments, right? Uh, yeah. It it opens the door a little bit, right? And uh, you know, when somebody comes in and you go. Yeah, yeah, we want to offer you a job. Uh, here's our offer, uh, you know, $27 an hour. And they go, <laughs> I'm, I'm making 38 already, right? Uh, why would I want to do that, right? And yeah. uh, and uh, and we're like, okay, well, thanks, you know. And uh, so... So that's improved now. We, it's yeah, we went right through direction. a major re recalibration. Um, Good word. Some of the, uh, the you know, they use... Um, uh, industry data, right? And some of their yeah. uh, data was pretty stale. Um, so we find, you know, after quite a few years, actually, three years, probably, we finally got them to kind of uh, refresh that data a little bit. And uh, and they went, oh, crap, there's a huge problem here, right? And uh, hello, what have we been telling you, right? And um, um, now that, that created some what I would call internal equity problems, right? Um, that we had to address too, right? So you have incumbents that were hired at the $22 level and they're, they're getting their, you know, three, 4% or whatever a year, or whatever increments, right? And and now, so, hey, Spencer, you've been here for, for eight years and you're you're up to 27. And, oh, I just hired this new guy that you're training and he's making 35, right? Oh, wait a second. That doesn't sit too well, right? Um, so we dealt with that. <laughs> we dealt with that. And uh, and now we're, I would say, in a, in a much better place. We've corrected some of the, uh, um, you know, the 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 government um, uh, wage uh, tiers and structures um, kind of naturally retard the uh, system a little bit, right? So you know, if you want to get rich, don't work for the government, right? Uh, work for private industry, but uh, but uh, it's called uh, deferred benefit for a reason, right? Because you get it when you retire and you come out the back door, right? 
Yeah. And uh, so you get a nice, a nice retirement package or whatever. But uh, um, anyway, uh, so we we corrected some of these things and uh, um, and so it's it's better. It's better than it was. So and, I'm 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 listening to your story from you know twenty thousand feet up. You know, you when when you have nothing else to do, you run to the shop to work with your hands and now you're going to work and you're dealing with all of these issues that have to do with remuneration and people mm -hmm. and hiring and it's has it become a different world for you in the last you know 10 years oh yeah definitely you know when i started out i uh, i started as a, a technical supervisor and uh, <laughs> they said um my boss at the time um uh, said Tom, he's an Austrian guy, right? He goes, Tom, uh, your responsibility is uh, every nut, bolt, washer, and O-ring on this accelerator. Um, uh, do not fail. And <laughs> so uh, it was like, oh, okay. And um, let the learning begin, right? So, uh, um, so at the time I was hired, uh, they got some of this. Uh, uh, they got a this Obama money. This what do they call it? The uh, recovery blah 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 something money, right? Uh, anyway, when Obama came into office, you know they they cut loose with the purse strings and gave uh, the Office of Science uh, a bunch of money to hand out for different projects, shovel ready projects, right? And we were one of them, and um, so. Basically, I got a crash course in uh, accelerator uh, accelerator technology, and um, uh, and then in the middle of in the middle of the project, uh, the same boss says comes into my office and he says, uh, "Oh, by the way, Tom, I'm leaving. Uh, I'm going to uh, uh, University of Michigan or uh, Michigan." EFRIB, a uh, facility for rare isotope beams. And uh, he says, I'm leaving to go to this other big project, right? And he says, here, you're it, right? <laughs> so, and I'm like, oh, And he runs okay. out the front door. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, right? And uh, and uh, so, but we, we finished it and uh, uh, and the machine works and it worked, it worked fine. It worked, worked as, uh, as designed. And my funny story is, uh, you know, you know, people think of all these accelerators like, oh, wow, it's, you know, it's an ion beam uh, hitting a target. You know, wow, this is great. You know, it, and they're picturing like rail guns and, uh, you know, things like this. Right. So uh, my funny story is, uh, OK, here we go. We're going to get ready to take the first shot. Right. OK. All right, everything ready? You ready over there? Vacuum systems, uh, electronics, oh, everybody's ready. Green light, thumbs up, click. So then, well, and that's it. It's just a click, right? And then they look, they're all huddled around a, uh, an oscilloscope trace, right? Uh, oh, my God, look at that pulse, man. Oh, oh you know, and uh, they're, everybody's like high-fiving, right? And I'm going, Where's the freaking lightning bolts and the uh, the bang and the smoke and stuff? Come on, man! So, click, dude. Dude, for one hundred fifty for one hundred and fifty bucks, we could get some sound effects in there. You know? Oh my god! Right? Yeah, it's just such an anticlimactic thing, right? So, uh, click. Yeah. That's excellent. Click. Oh, yeah, excellent. <laughs> so, 
the answer to the original question is what are you doing to inspire people into the trades is you're finding the trainable ones and you're training them. Yeah. So we have a, um, we have a relationship with a a local community college. So we get some feedstock from there. Mm -hmm. And, um, in fact, the, the guy that runs the program, um, he actually, he's been on your podcast, I think Adam Balog, right? Yeah. 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 So he runs the program at Laney and he's doing a killer job over there. And, but he, he used to be in the office right next to me. Right. And he used to work in the same building as me. And, um, and work on some of these, some of these same problems. Right. And, uh, so we have a good relationship and, uh, um, and he, he's got a really good program going. That's, that's bending towards kind of science and, uh, and physics and optics and things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, which Adam is passionate about and which happens to be, um, pretty good feedstock for us. Right. And, um, and, uh, and, you know, and he's familiar with the lab and, um, um, so, you know, he kind of points people in our direction, right. People that, uh, you know, they're not necessarily, you know, they're people that are, are trying to get into the trades and they're taking some classes and things like that. Yeah. And we've gotten some ex- excellent technicians out of his program. Right. Yeah. You, you ever get, the, uh, you ever get a phone call from Adam that was basically, I got one for you. Um, yeah, he says, uh, you know, he's, he's called me, he says, Hey, you really need to look at this, uh, at this particular one. Right. And, um, um, and, um, and yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's nice. Uh, so my advice is, um, um, is to find a way to, to, to sift, uh, your, uh, your candidates, and find the, 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 the attitude and, uh, that you're looking for and, um, um, and then develop a relationship with whatever community college has a program, uh, nearby. Right. And, um, um, and, um, and, you know, try that. And, you know, we do some, um, the other, one of the other things that I introduced, um, was, um, in the in interviewing process, right, um, was a kind of a change in um, in in how we do that, right? It used to be, you know, I, I talk about this, you know, like writing is a learned skill, machining and uh, and engineering is a learned skill. So is interviewing, right? So you might think you're a good interviewer, but I doubt it. Okay. And, uh, and it's, it's not an easy thing to do to sit down with somebody for 45 minutes or an hour and suss them out and figure out if they're worth a try. Right. So practice your craft. Okay. Cause it, it, it is a craft. And, um, so we change our questions around. Um, so we, um, uh, I want to see how people think, right? Uh, when presented with problems that don't have all the information, things like that. Um, so uh, here's an example of one, right? Okay, Spencer, here, here's our task. Um, we have to move a, um, a uh, kiddie pool full of water uh, from the first floor of a building to the second floor 
of a three-story building. Give me three different ways that we could do that. Go. Oh. And uh, yeah. So I want to see how you think about these things or the kinds yep. of questions that you ask, right? So go yep. ahead. Just try it. Well, first of all, I would consider the kiddie pool and the water as two separate things. I would drain the water, okay. store it, mm -hmm. move the kiddie pool upstairs, refill the kiddie pool. Uh, that's one way. So how, how are you getting the water from the first floor to the second floor? Uh, we're going to use a, uh, a utility pump. Okay. So uh, that's one method. All right. Yeah. What's another method? Another method is to use carboys and then a crane and just, uh, lift up the pallets with okay, the carboys. Yeah. That's two. What's a third way you could do that? Um, third way. <laughs> you didn't say a good way. Um, no, so we kind of accept any answer, right? And I've, I've had some really good answers to that question. Well, so. a stupid way to do it, a ridiculous way to do it would be to boil the water and let the steam go up to the second floor and then condense the Excellent. water. Great. So you answered the question fully, right? But I, I got a little glimpse into Spencer's mind, right? And I'm so, uh, and I'm so it, sorry for that. No, that's okay. Um, <laughs> but, but so I, I reformulated the questions so that there's, there's actually quite a few like that in there, right? Yeah. And um, where they have to kind of think about how they might do something, right? And uh, how they might do the. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you another one here in a second. The one that gets some really some really wild answers. My uh, couple of my favorite ones to the kiddie pool one were. Um, uh, oh, I would use an Archimedes screw to screw the water up to the second floor. And I go, oh man, you just won. Okay, that's a great <laughs> answer. I love that. Man. And then another one is, uh, uh, it was a gal actually. She says, uh, she goes, oh, um, you play video games? And I go, well, I have a little bit. She goes, have you ever played Portal? And, uh, and uh, I said, uh, I don't know if I have. She says, well, I would use a Portal gun. And Beautiful. I guess, I guess you can just transfer it up there, yeah. right? So yeah, shoot uh, yeah. it into the floor, dump shoot the water in the floor, right. comes out of the second floor. Yeah. yeah. So one of the other ones, the other thought process questions is, okay, we have a job to do, right? Um, and our job is we have to locate the exact center of a circular parking lot. Okay. We're going to put a flagpole there. All right. Um, now, the only tool that we have to do the job is a tape measure. And unfortunately, that tape measure is shorter than the distance from the center to the edge. How can we still get that job done? Go. I would draw a cord uh, at the maximum length that would establish one line. And then I would uh, uh, rotate up two, so two equilateral sides. Now I have a, a pointer toward the center of the of the circle. Um, okay. How many times have would an, you do that? Uh, I would do that uh, three times and then I would mm -hmm. get an error triangle in the middle. So I would then Great. go to the center of that error triangle. By that time, it's small enough that my tape measure is plenty big. Great. And I, Excellent answer. Yeah. So, but of that, course I, so those it, are, yeah, that comes from machining, right? That comes from yeah. layout. Right. Now, so those are a couple of examples of questions uh, where um, they have to kind of put the problem together in their head, right? And and think about it, right? And you get some pretty crazy answers, right? And mm -hmm. um, 
and it exposes, uh, you know, oh, I would use a, uh, I would use a, uh, a dewatering pump, and uh, or I would, uh, oh, I just fill up buckets and I'd walk up the stairs, right, and uh, and um, so, and then you get blank stairs too, right? Really? You get, uh, well, I don't know. Um, next question, please, right? You know, and okay. And so kind of an unwillingness to even try, right? Mm. And, you know, and then, and so those are, those are kind of uh, warning signs for me, right? When they're, they're not willing to even try, right? And um, so, so anyway, so we change the, the questions around a little bit. And then the other thing we do, um, and we kind of stopped during COVID because we went to all these Zoom interviews, right? And mm. which makes it even more difficult. But I built a uh, a little device I call the Busy Box, and what this is is a um, it's a it's to test for manual dexterity. So it's a box that's got about six or eight different little mechanical tasks that you can do uh, that I get to watch you work. I get to see how clumsy you are uh, or not clumsy or how careful and how you follow instructions. Uh, and whether you you have um, uh, attention to detail, uh, so I get some insight into that. And um, so one of the one of the exercises in the thing is uh, there's a little tray that's full of uh, different screws, right? Just machine screws. But the machine screws were very very carefully selected uh, between metric and imperial um, to. To have very subtle differences in in how they look, and uh, so the job is, I want you to separate these into these individual little pockets, um, and into like screws, right? All the same screws in in each pocket, right? And uh, and oh, by the way, this is an attention to detail exercise. Okay, so heads up, and and they go at it, and. Um, so it's uh, uh it's kind of it's interesting uh, <laughs> to to watch these things right so uh, but the, you, you gain some in, valuable insight that's the inverse of what we were talking about before watching the master's hands now the master is watching the novice's hands to see what they're doing that's right that's interesting yeah that's right and uh you uh you gain uh, some excellent insight into uh um you know, in this limited amount of time that you have with this person, right? And uh, so you're trying to maximize your your data, right, uh, for this limited amount of time, and it's been very helpful. So, anyway, pretty cool. That's 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 my answer on how we find people. Well, I, it's going to take it's going to take a couple hours for me to calm down from the interview here because I was a little intimidated. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, go go. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I didn't even give you the hard one, so. Uh, well, maybe another day I'll, I'll show up yeah. on your doorstep and we'll do that. Well, yeah. uh, let's see. I, okay. Here's a question from Tuck's garage. He says, why are you so amazing? Why? Oh, uh, so first off, I am not amazing. Okay. Uh, so I encounter people all the time that make me feel puny. And um, so, you know, I talk about attitude, right? And you need to be a lifelong student, right? And 
the old I will guarantee you the older you get, the more you will realize how little you know. And uh, because you encounter people that are smarter and better than you. And that's the best thing that you can do is hang out with people that are that are smarter and richer and faster than you. Right. You want to learn how to ride a motorcycle fast? Chase somebody that's faster than you. Okay. And uh, you want to learn how to machine really good? Hang out with with people that uh, have been doing it a really long time, right? And, and observe them, right? Um, you want to get rich? Hang out with rich people, and uh, and and uh, they will uh, uh, show you how it's done. <laughs> it's, uh, but uh, yeah. Well, it's been it's, said. It's been said that if you're if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You're in the wrong room. Exactly. It's so true. It is so true. Right. And, uh, well, um, yeah, I work. Go ahead. go ahead. Fire, fire no, no, shot. No. Nope, I don't have any shots left. So okay. Well, listen. Uh, we we can do this for another hour and a half. Yeah, right. <laughs> we're oh, capable yeah. of Jeez, it. That was quick. Yeah. <laughs> Whether or not we should is another story. We mm-hmm. we hit most of the questions. I know. I know some people wanted to hear more about moving the heavy machines into the new shop. We could do that another day. But you you really hit some stuff that we've never really uh, got into before, and I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Some some insights, um, including you know well, the you know the interview, which I'm still nervous. So about. Um, for those folks that were wondering about moving moving a shop, um, uh, real quick, I'll uh, I'll go through it. Right. So when I looked at my shop and said, "Okay, I got to move my shop," um, yikes. Um, that was yeah. my first reaction. Um, the second thing was I said, okay, how long is this going to take? Right. And, uh, so I put my little project manager hat on and, uh, and said, how long practically is this going to take? Right. So my first estimate was one month and I said, okay, that that's a reasonable amount of time, uh, to pack all the stuff up and, um, and then, uh, you're going to, you know, and then you're gonna have to move it right so my first pass was i wanted uh i was gonna need some riggers to help me right and uh, now at the time that i was trying to move my shop um the uh a lot of these riggers were booked up for long periods and um and um, I ran into some weather problems, right? And a lot of these riggers don't want to move machines and whatnot in the rain, right? And I kind of don't want them to move machines in the rain either, right? So my one month turned into three months. And um, and so if you have a shop that's, you know, two to 3,000 square feet, figure it's going to take you three months to get it done. And uh, um, unless you got a lot of money <laughs> and you can just like say, hey, move my shop and, uh, and, yeah, write the check. Uh, and write the check. Right. So but most of us are not kind of in that position. And uh, ultimately, uh, uh, my friends uh, saved my ass and um, they showed up with trucks and trailers and strong backs and um, and, and and helped out. And uh, and then when I moved, I there were, it was actually three moves in one. So we had hmm. uh, my wife had a uh, she's an artist. She has a she had a separate studio. Okay, 
So that was one move. And then there was the house, quote unquote house, you know, the living stuff. And then there was my shop. So it was really three moves. So I guess I could say it was uh, one month per <laughs> per move, right? So yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. I remember yeah. when it was happening. That was that was quite the mission. Um, oh it yeah, was... it's uh, it was brutal. And um, um, and then you know, from a practical standpoint, uh, one of the things that actually worked out really good was uh, um, I ended up getting a bunch of kind of oddball sized. Uh, kind of heavy duty wood crates, right? And when you're moving bit when you're moving machine shop kind of stuff, right? It's pretty hard. You can't pack it in cardboard. It just does not work, right? So, but if you have a sturdy box, like a wood crate, uh you can stack um several thousand pounds of stuff and nestle it all in there so that it doesn't move around and now you can move it with a pallet jack or a forklift or whatever right and you don't have to like individually swath each piece in a, in a million pieces of uh, paper and foam and whatnot and so for moving kind of big heavy bulky items uh, uh wood crates um uh are are the cat's meow and uh and then you're just using material handling stuff and uh you know because you can only stack so many chucks and indicators and gauge blocks and whatever in the back of a pickup right and before you're like you know okay i I don't want to put anything on top of that right you know and uh um so the crates the crates thing kind of worked out pretty nice and um so that would be my other my other recommendation so. so would you be willing to come back and we can keep this conversation going Another day? Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, we okay. Yeah. So I want to say thank you very much for taking the time. Mm-hmm. This was awesome. Yeah. I feel like yeah. we you know, everybody feels uh caught up with you now and understand where oh. you're coming from. And that's good. And we, we, we're we're happy that you're actually healthy and doing the right things. Um mm-hmm. and uh so uh we're gonna wrap it up here, guys. I appreciate uh Tom, I appreciate everybody who is in here live. Uh, when we click off, uh, we will continue this in the uh, after show uh, channel on the Discord server. Well, I, that's traditionally when I do the uh, the editing for the audio podcast and push it up. Everybody on YouTube, thank you very much. Uh, don't forget to, uh, somebody's going to remind me to say this, like and subscribe. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. this, uh, <laughs> right? Spencer's trying to get up to ten bucks next month. So ten it's, uh... bucks, come on, baby! I want to. I want to make enough so that if Tom comes east, I could buy him lunch. That's. I have a okay. goal. Okay. Well, I have, I have a, a standing invite for our friend Mitch uh, to come yeah. out there. So one, one of these days, we before, this will happen. Uh, you guys keel over. I got to get out there. So <laughs> this will happen. Okay. This has been PFG Live, and uh, Tom right. and I say uh, get flat, stay flat. And know where your rocks are. Thanks for showing up, guys. Uh, it's always uh, good to get some questions. And, uh, and uh, you know, like I said, the YouTube experience for me has been about meeting guys like you, right? People with uh, aligned interests and, uh, and, and hobbies and things like that. So, uh, yeah. Good to All right. Thanks, I'll everyone. See you guys later. See you later. Take care.